Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. plenty loud. It's okay. Good. That's right. Good morning. I want to welcome you. If it is your first time here, please let us give you a big round of applause and big shouts. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait to see your face in person, but we're always so grateful that we have this opportunity to worship with you online. And if you are with us and you have this handy dandy thing in front of you, it is called our connect card. This is such a fabulous tool to use. If it is your first time here, we don't want something from you. We want something for you. If you would just fill this out at the end of service, you can take it right over here to our beautiful Connect Center. We want to give you a gift. We have an opportunity for you to talk to one of the pastors. It's just one of those moments that we just want to get to know you, have your name, and uh, just get information your way. But y'all, it is exciting. I've had a lot of coffee. We are nine years old. We are celebrating. Because if y'all told me that we were going to go from a funeral home to here, I would have never believed you. But here we are, killing it in this grocery store church. That's my favorite name for it. Because we're so happy and just so excited to have this building. And just really continue to love and serve the community. And y'all, it's just, it's a very exciting day too. Because um, one, I always love it when a plan comes together. And they allow me to have really crazy, chaotic ideas. Like, hey, Aaron's getting ordained, and I would like to do something special. And that means I'd like to have somebody come in. And I had like three days to pull it all together. So I'm always excited to have someone from the network come in. And so Josh Williford is here. He is our leader, development director for the Ohio Ministry Network. And so, Josh, if you would come forward, I'd love for you to take over from me to just brag on Aaron. Hey, Simple Church, how you doing this morning? Oh, let me offer on behalf of 288 churches, 914 ministers, and 75,000 people. Can I say hey, happy birthday? Come on, somebody. Nine years, you did it, but you're not done. And uh, God has got a big plan for you. And what a special celebration to have in um, the grocery store church. Um, uh, and so I am so grateful to be here. Last Sunday, uh, not only is this Sunday a special day for you guys, but last Sunday was a special day uh, for your pastors. Uh, in the Assemblies of God and really in the Christian church, we have had this practice of acknowledging those who God has called to lead his church uh, through a process called ordination. You may have heard that, that word before. It's not unique to the Assemblies of God and our, our network of churches, uh, but it is something that is important. In fact, it finds its roots all the way back into the Bible uh, in the Old Testament, it was expressed uh, through anointing. There would be a moment when, when if it was a prophet or a priest or a king, if they were specially called for divine service, God would, would have them pulled apart, and they would actually literally have oil dumped upon them, top to bottom. We didn't do that to Pastor Aaron. But today, today, we're going to do, I'm just kidding. Um, so it would symbolize the Spirit of God washing over someone. And setting them apart for service. In the New Testament, that, that process was through the laying on of hands. So you see this in 2 Timothy when Paul says, hey, stir up that gift. Don't neglect that thing that, I, that was placed inside of you through the laying on of the hands. And so this ordination is this recognition of being set apart. In the assemblies of God, in the assemblies of God, we have a process of what we call ministerial credentialing. I get the privilege of overseeing ministerial credentialing for Ohio and uh, that is a rigorous process. You want your leaders to be vetted. Can I get an amen in the house? You don't want just anybody to hold a microphone and lead a church. You want someone who has been, been appointed not only by God, but affirmed by spiritual elders 
who are godly and can see and say, hey, I see the giftedness, I see the, the, the integrity, I see the, the ability to lead God's people, I see the call of God on your life. And so Aaron has been through that process through three different stages of ministerial credentialing. We have three different levels of ministerial credentialing, certified minister, licensed minister, and ordained minister. And in this process, okay, you ready for it? This is going to be a lot. He has had um, an Three different applications, three different background and credit checks, 17 references. Um, let's see here. Uh, th- six interviews, three exams, and an entire slate of education. Um, we vetted him. Uh, uh, we also took bone marrow and, and a blood sample. Um, and so through that process, spiritual elders, ministers from all over Ohio looked at Aaron and said, yep, I see the call of God in you. Now, we don't do any calling in the assemblies of God. We didn't call him to ministry. The Lord did that. But we can see the evidence of his integrity. We can see the evidence of his giftedness for ministry. Specifically, ordination is one of those things that we look for two markers when we're walking people through this process. One of those markers is the clear evidence of of capability for ministry. So not only is it a call of God on his life, but he's a proven minister in that he's been effective. And I think the, that you, in some sense, are the evidence of that. Seeing you across this place, you are the evidence of proven ministry. And nine years of this church is evidence of proven ministry. He is capable and good at what he does. Can I get an amen in the house? Right? But it's also a commitment to... Um, to the ministry, what we call a durable commitment to the ministry. What that means is, is that he's not going to give up. In a time and a season when people are turning to the right and turning to the left, they're, they're throwing in the towel, um, Aaron's stayed the course. And there would have been plenty of moments when it would have been easy to quit, but he's not done that. And so because of those things, last Sunday night, he was joined by hundreds of people who affirmed that uh, 19 ordination candidates who came across the stage. And on that stage, we um, gave them a Bible because Paul's admonition in ordination of Timothy was preach the word. Um, We gave him a vial of oil representing the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then we gave him a stole. Um, uh, Earlier today, it was called a shawl on accident. So he's not an 85-year-old woman. Um, (laughs) A stole is like what you might see at a graduation. You put it over, and it's representative of a mantle being passed because leadership is never, ever acquired by yourself. It's always given from one generation to the next. And so we placed that upon him symbolically last week, put our hands upon him, prayed for him, and uh, affirmed him. And I'm going to invite him and Shannon to come forward at this time. Can you give your express your gratitude and thanks to your pastor in this incredible acknowledgement, uh, incredible compliment. There it is. There it is. Come on. That's it. That's it. And uh, we're so grateful. Uh, Aaron's not only a phenomenal leader in this church, but has a voice that reaches into all of our churches in Ohio. And uh, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for the impact he's making in you in Reynoldsburg, uh, but also the impact uh, he's making in our collective family here in the Assemblies of God in Ohio, in the Ohio Ministry Network. So what I'd like you to do, um, and maybe if you're new to church, this is weird for you. You don't have to do this. That's okay. Um, in the Old Testament, there would be a hand of blessing that would be extended. It's kind of saying, hey, I got you. It's kind of like the far away hand, high, high five, okay? Um, would you be willing to just kind of extend your hands to Pastor And We want to pray for him and Shanda. The grace of the Lord be upon them, and uh, especially in this hallmark of uh, nine years. We want to pray for them. God, we're grateful. Uh, we're grateful for this couple. We know that you've called them, you've appointed them, you've set them apart for your purposes, for your plans. God, you've touched them uniquely. You've given them gifts and abilities. You've given them the ability to see where where no one else can see, the eyes of faith. And I I just pray right now that that in the same way that happened last week, that across this room of people who love Pastor Aaron and Shanda, Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon them. God, that you would infuse them with the power of your spirit. God, may it be true that the ministry that they do is never within their own strength or their own giftedness. No matter how much that comes from you, may it be true that they are operating in the fullness and the power of your spirit, God, the anointing of your spirit. God, I pray in the times when it seems like it's just really hard, when they don't 
know exactly what to do, and they, boy, they're just really tired. I pray that you would lift them up, encourage them, and strengthen them, Lord. Give them, give them the, the ability to see beyond their circumstances, to see what you're doing. And God, I pray for, for them as they lead this church, God, into their 10th year and beyond. Lord, I pray your grace, your mercy, and your love would abound in this place. The things that I already sense and feel amongst this body of Christ, God, I pray that you would maximize that and multiply that in greater measure than ever before. I pray that this place, this place, this building would not just be a building, would would it be an incredible tool for your glory and for your honor. God, that this milestone would not represent all the things you've done in the past, but be a marker to what you're getting ready to do in the future. God, I, I know this is true. You have planted this church here. You've planted the Dedongs here so that Reynoldsburg can be different, so that this place can be different. Those that are bound and broken and, and confused and turned around right now, they're turned upside down in homes across the city. God, they, you have put these people in this place so that the gospel can be shared and their lives can be placed right side up. They can be put on a path toward eternity with you. God, I pray your grace upon them today. The power of your spirit would rest upon them. Ordain them for your service. Set them apart. God, for your glory and for your honor. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. Give one more hand to your pastors this morning. Well, and we'll go ahead and close in prayer and dismiss. No. Hey, it's uh, it's uh, feels like it's been forever since I've been here with you, but thank you, um, Josh, for that was very kind of you. And uh, this ordination process has been uh, quite the journey, and uh, I'm thankful to be through it and that it's over. But also, uh, that, that that just means I get to do focus on some other things and uh, making a difference here in our city is one of our priorities. So, super excited to uh, to celebrate that with you guys and share that with you today. Uh, all right, well, Kyle's already kind of given, uh, d- done the front end of what I normally do. I'm just going to kind of jump into it. Are you all ready? Can we make it like a hard transition? Uh, we're going to jump right into what we're talking about. We are in week five of this series called Baited, and the, the point of this series is we're exploring the fact that offenses are going to come, that, that you're going to have plenty of opportunities to be offended. It's just a matter of what you do with that offense that makes a difference, Right. Uh, and as Christians, we have a responsibility to accept that there's a pathway out of this trap called offense. And so that's what our topic is on today. I'm going to talk to you about how we escape the trap of offense. And the next week, next week, we're going to talk about reconciliation. Because how many of you guys know that forgiveness is not reconciliation? Forgiveness is canceling somebody's debt that they owe you because of the wrong that they've caused you. Reconciliation is taking everything back to zero, meaning that, hey, everything's good between you and I, and we resume our relationship the way it was. That's not what forgiveness is. Reconciliation is a very different process, and we'll talk about that next week. But this week, as we approach this subject, I think uh, we've, we've got a, a problem uh, as, we, as we examine this. And, and, and the problem is simple. I think we have a problem with authority, Right? We, we have a problem trusting authority. We have a problem believing that any particular thing in our lives is an authority on one thing. We're, we're taught to question authority. We're taught to push back against authority. And that we're also taught from a very, very young age that what people in authority over us have said is not true. Right? We're taught from a very young age, like our parents. Our parents taught us when we were, when we were kids that what they say they're going to do, they don't always do, right? And so that teaches us from a young age that, that, well, what they say isn't really right. It's not really truth. It's just kind of, it was their truth. And so if truth is subjective, then, then, then well, what is truth? What is real? Who, who has all the answers? And, and, and this problem is, is made worse because, you know, when we were kids, our parents said all kinds of crazy stuff to us. I don't know about you. My parents said some crazy stuff to me. As a kid, try to get me to behave. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else have parents that said something like, bye, we're leaving without you? They weren't leaving without you. But what did you do? You hurried up, right? Like, I remember playing video games. They say we're leaving without you. And I'd, I would have to put my game on pause and, and make sure everything was safe, you know, because we didn't have... I didn't have the money to buy the memory chips to make my gray box Nintendo remember stuff. And, you know, it was just, uh, 
Or they, or they say, that's it, we're taking that thing back to the store. Anybody? If you can relate, come on, let me sh- I need to hear you. Like, yeah, all right. Maybe you heard that or maybe you said that, right? Or how about, how about if you don't eat it for dinner, you're going to have it for breakfast, and then, you know, that never happened either. Or they told you, stop making that face or it'll freeze that way. I'm sorry, can you cite your references for that? Because that's just never, ever happened. Or what about, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out of it, right? You either heard it or you said it, right? And I'm sorry, sir or ma'am, that's something called murder. And you're not really going to do that. But as a kid, you don't know that, right? Or what about, I'll knock you into next week. Anybody ever heard that one? That's called time travel. And if you figured that out, that's a whole different thing or... Or maybe, maybe, you, maybe you didn't hear this one. It was one of my favorites listening to Bill Cosby and some of his comedy growing up. His mom told him, I'll slap your face off, right? Anybody ever heard that? And he was always excited because he was looking forward to keeping his face in a box under his bed so he could show his friends, like, look, this is me, you know? That never happened. But these empty threats start as children, right? And we get conditioned to the idea that authority doesn't mean what they say they mean, right? That, that, that they're not going to follow through that there, there aren't going to be consequences the way they say. And so we, we, we enter into teenage years, and we doubt authority, and we rebel against authority, and, and then we become adults. And, and, and then we live our lives questioning authority on a regular basis. And, and that translates not, not just to earthly authority, but I think it translates, sadly, to our heavenly authority as well that we look at God's word and we see scripture that tells us plainly how we are to live our lives and we go, eh, that doesn't really, that doesn't really gel with my opinion. It doesn't really gel with, with what I believe. And so we dismiss it. it. It's not an authority. The scripture is not authority. But let me tell you something today, that God's word is our authority. If you are a Christ follower or not, it does not matter if you're following Jesus. It is still truth, no matter what. And God's ways, these these are not just good ideas. They are God's ideas, and they will lead to life. And the challenge, of course, today is as as we're wrapping up this series, is the stuff that you're hearing every week and the stuff you're going to hear today, they're not just good suggestions. They're not just good ideas. They are God's word. He has the authority. He is the ultimate authority. He is the final authority. In fact, he has total authority and total dominion over us. His word is truth. And so as we approach this, as we talk about what this means and how we escape the trap of offense, don't look at it like a good suggestion. It's not. This is how we are to live end of story. So as, as we're talking about it today, try to look through it through a totalitarian, like this is a, that he has total authority. All right, amen? Can you do that with me today? So let's, let's get into today's topic, escaping the trap of offense. Jesus told us, he said to his disciples in Luke 17, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. So if you're alive today, offenses are going to come. It's how you respond to those offenses and what you do when they come that matters. You can choose, if you'd like to, when offenses come, to carry those offenses. You can choose that. You can choose to hold on to your unforgiveness. You can choose to remain wounded. You can allow that wound to fester. And then what happens when that wound festers within you is you become bitter. And by the way, that makes you a toxic person to be around. That's what the book of Hebrews says. That, that not only are you now infecting yourself, but you're now infecting everybody around you because you are choosing to hold on to unforgiveness. So you can choose that, or you can learn to deal with that offense according to God's word, and you can become stronger. The truth that you need to recognize is that when offenses come into your life, it is going to change you. The power you have is to choose how it changes you. You can hold on to that offense and become bitter, And become worse, or you can choose to allow that offense to make you stronger by choosing to follow God's word and to forgive. It's your choice. Remember that. Often when I I deal with this, this subject of offense and we start talking about forgiveness, 
the one thing that I hear more often than not, and maybe, maybe you've heard this before, is, Aaron, you don't know what they did to me. Maybe you've heard somebody say that when, when they're talking about why they're holding on to the offense, or maybe you've been somebody who has said that before. You just don't know what they've done to me. You're right, I don't. But you know what I do know? I know what we've done to God. Oh, let me talk to you about that for a second. Because the Bible says that every single one of us here on this earth, every single one of us is a sinner. It doesn't matter whether we have sinned greatly or a lot or a little. If you've sinned at all just once, the Bible says that the debt you owe is death. That the wages of sin, in other words, the payment of it, is death. Now, that word death is, you say, Aaron, everybody's going to die. That's not really scaring me. Well, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about an eternal death, an eternal death where you will be separated from our holy, loving, and just God forever paying your debt back. That's the only way for you to pay it back is to spend eternity attempting to do so. Every single one of us, in other words, has an unpayable debt that we owe because of our sin. And every single one of us needs a savior to rescue us. I will tell you this, that an offended Christian is somebody who has forgotten. Forgotten what? A person who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten what they've been forgiven of. I'm going to say that like 10 times today. That's what I want you to come away with today. This right here. That if you are choosing to hold on to offense, it is likely that you have forgotten how much you've been forgiven in the first place. That I don't need to know what they've done to you. I know what you've done to God. And I know what God has forgiven you for. I may not know the details, but I know the size of the debt. And it's an unpayable debt. And we have somehow forgotten. Now in our text today that we're going to look at, we're going to be in Matthew 18. It's all about offenses. And it's a good text to help you as Christians to know how to interact with somebody who's offended you and hurt you. But Jesus is talking to his disciples and, and his followers. And, and if you know the disciples, if you know the story at all, you, you'll find that the disciples are, are often bickering with each other and really trying to figure out who is the best among them, right? They, they want to know. And, and honestly, I think there's one guy that kind of emerges from the group because I think he thinks it's him. It's Peter, of course. Peter's impetuous. He just kind of thinks, and actually, I don't think he thinks a lot before he speaks, you know, if you look in the scripture and really kind of see what's happening. But, but, but Peter's very impetuous, and I think he thinks a lot of himself, and there's reasons for that. Peter is the only disciple who walked on water. Peter is one of the three that Jesus took up onto the mountain when he was of transfiguration, when, you know, his likeness changed. He starts floating in clouds, and Moses is there, and, and Elijah's there, and this is a crazy scene, right? Peter was one of those ones that was there. Peter was one of those ones that got invited because all the disciples didn't. He got invited into a room where a little girl that Jesus said she was just sleeping. She, she'd done been dead. But <laughs> she's she just sleeping. He, he invites three guys in. Peter's one of them. And he raises this little girl from the dead. Like he's in these very intimate and special places. So of course, Peter thinks a lot about himself and he's getting this swollen head. And, and Peter has some thoughts on forgiveness that he's gonna share with Jesus to kind of show him how good he is, Right? And you need to understand that up until this point, Jesus talked a lot about forgiveness. It's probably why Peter decides to latch onto this subject and to talk to Jesus about it and to show him his thoughts on it. Uh, Jesus, of course, has, has talked about the you know, forgiveness in the Sermon on the Mount. And, 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 and of course, you know, Peter thinks that what he's getting ready to say to Jesus is so triumphant and so good because they come from a background of a Jewish law or the Mosaic law, which was eye for an eye. That way, when somebody offended you, the way that they offended you, you got to offend them back. So if somebody killed, killed your, your sheep, you got to kill one of their sheep. If they poked out your eye, you got to poke out their eye. It's literally eye for an eye, right? And so this is their context. This is their law. And Jesus is saying, nope, I'm telling you to forgive instead. And so Peter shows up to Jesus, and it's through this lens of the Mosaic law that now he's going to have this conversation with Jesus about forgiveness. So in verse 21 of chapter 18, it says, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. See, Peter's gloating. I got this one. It's seven, isn't it? Because that's your number. That's one of your good numbers there. I know you like that number, Jesus. He's in it. 
And, and Jesus does what he always does. He just, he says, oh, oh, you want to play this game? He says, I'm going to next level it for you. So he says, I did not say to you up to seven times. Oh, it's less. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Seventy times seven. Now, one of the other records of this story, Jesus responds and he says that number, and he says, in one day. In one day. That's 490 times in a 24-hour period of time. What that means is that you would have to sin against me every three minutes, assuming none of us sleeps in that 24-hour period of time. <laughs> now, I know some really good sinners in this world, but ain't nobody that good of a sinner. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that every three minutes, they are offending me. That is just not happening. But Jesus, what Jesus is saying is that our forgiveness needs to be like our Heavenly Father's forgiveness. That's, that means that it's inexhaustible. That means that, that, that our forgiveness, that we are willing to forgive that much. It's, it's so much. And Jesus makes his point by telling this parable or this story in verse 21. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, so that's God's way of doing things, by the way. Whenever you see Jesus say the kingdom of heaven, you can just, you can take those words out and put in God's way of doing stuff. Because if he's the king, and in his kingdom, things are run his way, right? Okay. Remember, this is the authority piece here. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, or God's way of doing things, is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Pause. Let's talk about that. What is a talent? Well, a talent was not a, a measurement of money. A talent was a measurement of weight, okay? And a talent is thought to be uh, about as much as a man could carry, the average amount that a man could carry, and that would be 75 pounds, okay? So this guy, his debt is 10,000 talents. So it's 750,000 pounds of something. Well, could it be barley? Could it be wheat? Well, in about this time, the, the actual transaction, what they would use to make purchases and to barter with, it was, it was coins. So it would be silver, it would be gold. So let's just assume it was gold for a second. 750,000 pounds of gold, with gold being at about uh, $1,200 an ounce. I realize it's more than that today. I looked it up, okay? But it's about 1,800 right now an ounce. But gold being about $1,200 an ounce would mean that this 750,000 pounds of gold would be equal to 14 billion, 500 million, that's it, 14.5 billion. There it is. I don't, I don't know how to say the rest of that. Zeros and thousands and hundreds, there it goes. Is it up on the screen? Hey, there it is. That's, that's a big number, right? That's a big, if you don't think that that's an unpayable debt, I've got a building I'd like to renovate and a city I'd like to reach. I'm just saying, that's you. Call me. <laughs> but what Jesus does is he likens the king in this story to God the Father. We have an unpayable debt, right? Each of us do. It's, it's unpayable. At least we can't pay it on our own. And that's why when Jesus came, when he died on the cross, he paid that debt for us. He's the only one who could. He was the only one who lived on this earth and never sinned. He was perfect, and he chose to lay his life down as a ransom. In other words, he paid the demand that was for our life. You ever watch one of them crime shows, and they've got a ransom. They want paid. What is that for? That's to release the prisoner. Jesus paid the ransom for us so that we would be released from the debt of our sins. That's what he did for us. He paid our debt, and that's why I say a person who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten what they've been forgiven of. We were forgiven. We didn't deserve it. What we deserve is eternal separation. What we deserve is to live eternity in hell paying our debt to God. But our Heavenly Father who loves us said, that's not good enough. I'm going to send my son, and he's going to take care of this once and for all time. That's how much God loves us. He sent his son to pay that debt. And in paying that debt, he got us out of what we deserve. Everybody following me so far? The, he got us out of what we deserve. Sadly, though, we forget how much we were forgiven, and so we refuse to forgive people. That's one of the bigger issues and why we choose to not forgive. We've forgotten. One of the others, other issues attached to why we choose to not forgive is because Christians refuse to forgive because we have categorized sins. Some sins are forgivable. Others are not. Some sins are bigger. 
Others are small. We call them little white lies. We come up with names for them, right? Like the big sins, like adultery and, and murder or, or lying or stealing. These are big known ones. These are no-nos. You don't do that, right? But when it comes to the sin of gossip, oh, well, that's just a weakness. Uh-oh, when it comes to the sin of, of discord and sowing that seed of discord and that disunity among the brethren. Hey, listen, you know what? In Proverbs 6, there's, there's a whole list of things that God says are an abomination to him. And you know what's not on that list? Adultery. It's not there. But sowing seeds of discord among the brethren is. God detests that stuff, man. And we call it a weakness, and we, we, we downgrade it from the word sin to, well, it's not a big deal. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, I, I'm not out there doing what so-and-so's doing. We compare ourselves to their sin. And we treat, but here's the thing. I think if we treated unforgiveness like it was murder, well, I think a lot more of us would be free. Because let me tell you something. It is like murder. Murder is a sin. It is not a bigger sin. Yes, it has a greater relational and cultural impact, but not in the courtroom of heaven. Sin is sin. There is no big or small sin. Unforgiveness is not a sin or weakness. It is a sin. That's what it is. But as long as we title something a weakness, then we can justify its existence in our life and we refuse to do something about it. Well, it's just a weakness. It's not anything I really need to work on. It's not anything I need to surrender to God. It's not anything I need to, to confess to somebody like, hey, I'm really struggling to forgive somebody. We just hold on to it. Unforgiveness is sin. It is missing the mark of God's best for our lives. And Jesus died for the sin of unforgiveness like he did the sin of murder. You know, a few years back, I was serving at uh, one of our youth camps here that, that happens up at, uh, 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 we've got this, this campground, it's called Heartland. And uh, every summer there's, there's youth camp there. And, and I went and I was doing some of the, praying with the kids at the altar afterwards. I couldn't even tell you what the message was about, but I remember this young man who came forward, and he was really struggling to have a connection, to have a connection and a relationship with God. And I, and I said, do you know why? He's like, no. He said, I've repented of my sins. I've asked him into my heart, and I just feel nothing. And I stood silent and, 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 and said, Holy Spirit, I need your help here. I don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit told me to tell him, you need to forgive your mom. Now, I didn't know of what. I had no idea what she had done, but this kid's standing there praying, and I said, Holy Spirit told me to tell you you need to forgive your mom. His whole countenance changed. From this, he would bent over. The dude started growling at me. I'm not kidding. He started, no, no, she doesn't deserve it. How many of you have felt that before? This is the moment this young man was going to be free. And I said, I know that this is hard, and I know she doesn't deserve it. Forgiveness is not about that. You make a choice in this moment to be free and forgive her. And he did. And the second he released, his whole body shifted. There was peace. The tension that was all throughout him was gone. And tears began to stream down his eyes as he finally had that connection with God he longed for. And if you're here today and you're struggling in your relationship with God, can't feel him, can't hear him, it's likely you've got some unforgiveness in your life that you need to deal with. Let me challenge you to remember how much you've been forgiven so that you can make the choice to forgive others. Now, one more comment on this. I've I've had several soapboxes in this message that I'm standing on. This is the last one, okay? <laughs> Here's the last one. We, we categorize sin, but I think we've lost sight of the fact that all sin is sin. That, that all sin is equal, none is worse than the other. I had a, a back in the funeral home days, it's funny, we're talking about nine years and talking about the funeral home a lot today, but there was a couple that started coming to our church, and I really enjoyed this guy. Uh, he, he said, you know, man, I've never experienced God, and, and I've never experienced his presence like this. This is our church. We're so excited to be here. 
And this was early on, so I know that I was growing as a communicator. That means I wasn't preaching real good, okay, folks? I'm just saying. <laughs> it was theologically sound, but I wasn't real good at it, okay? Uh, you can ask my team. They'll tell you all my quirks and how terrible I was uh, as I tried to emulate every pastor in the world in, in, instead of just being myself. And, um, and so this, but this guy, he, he loved it. And he would send me emails telling me week after week, I love this so much. We're learning so much. Thank you so much. And, and, and he, he was very excited to be at Simple Church. But then that email came in. He said, Aaron, he said, I, I don't know if I can keep coming to your church. I'm really struggling to worship. I'm struggling to, to enjoy the presence of God. He said, because you got them homosexuals in your church. Oh, this is a true story. This is what he said. He said, I cannot stand it. He said, it just bothers me that there are people in your church that are lifting their hands to Jesus. He said, I can't focus. And I invited him that day to go ahead and find himself another church because I was never going to keep anybody from being in our church. Because, see, here's what his issue was. He had made that sin greater than his sin. He had forgotten that sin is sin across the board. You say, Aaron, are you affirming other people's sin? I'm not affirming any sin at all. What I'm telling you is that there is not one that is greater than another. And if you've got a problem with how somebody else sins, let's have a conversation about your sin first. Oh, you don't want to do that? Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> Off my soapbox. Just want to say we have to be willing, willing to forgive. Jesus gave his life for us to be free from our sins, and we need to be willing to forgive others. And back to the story Jesus is telling this. The servant who had been forgiven $14.5 billion leaves the king's presence rejoicing, because of course, when a debt like that gets canceled, right? That's a pretty awesome thing. And so he leaves, and I'm not certain as Jesus is telling the story, he doesn't say how much time has passed. But, there, but it's possible that there's some time that's passed because what he does next is not very congruent with a person who just walked out of the presence of a king who forgave him $14.5 But I'm not certain. It's just conjecture. But it, the next verse says, but that servant went out, the guy who had been forgiven a lot, the unpayable debt. He went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, what is a denarii? A denarii is about a day's wage, okay? So if this guy owed him 100 denarii, that means he owed him 100 days' wages, okay? So by the way, that, that's, that's not a lot. 100 days' wages uh, is about a third of your annual income. And so how many of you guys would be upset if somebody other than the government was robbing you of a third of your income? <laughs> I said, Yikes, are we doing that today? Put your seatbelt on. Let's go. <laughs> We're not doing that. We will never do that. But there's, that's 100 days' wages that he owes this guy. So let's assume that his annual salary is just is $30,000 as a day laborer. That, that, that seems fair. And, and, and so this guy owes him 10 grand. Okay, let's just, let's just get some numbers to work with here. And the Bible says, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. Now, this 10 grand is not near as big as the $14.5 billion, but it's certainly not 20 bucks either, Right? It's certainly not 100 or 500 bucks. Like, this is a, it's a serious amount to pay back. And the guy needs to pay it back, of course. So, so, so he's, he's got a reason to want it back. It's, it's substantial. But the first guy's forgotten how much he's been forgiven. And as he faces this situation, he goes to that second guy who owes him 10K, and he roughs him up a bit. Why does he rough him up? Because he forgot person who cannot forgive is a person who has forgotten how much they've been forgiven. So Jesus said, the first guy whose massive debt was forgiven, he said, laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So what happens is the guy turns himself into a judge, which our Bible tells us repeatedly, don't, don't judge. James, it tells us not to judge. Now, it doesn't mean to judge what's good for you and not. No, it means don't pass judgment. Don't pass sentencing. Don't, we don't condemn anybody. That's not our job. 
in the courtroom of the heavens. Our job is not prosecutor. Our job is not defense. Our job is not jury. Our, judge, our job is not to be the judge. We are simply to be witnesses for Jesus. That's it. He says, don't be a judge, but this guy turned himself into a judge. Because what a judge does is he says, this is the penalty that will equal the debt being paid for the offense that was caused. And this guy made himself the judge. And he said, you'll pay for that. Now, I know we're not in a court of law. We're in the court of humanity. So what we'll do is we'll say, your debt and the way that you're going to pay it is I'm going to give you a cold shoulder. Or I'm going to lift you out of my life completely. Or the benefits of our relationship that you used to enjoy. This happens all the time in a marriage relationship. You say, well, the benefits you used to enjoy, you will no longer enjoy. We create a payment plan. They will suffer until they pay that debt back. We set up ourselves to be judges. Jesus continued, he said, so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me. I'll pay you all. But he would not. And he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. Now, the other servants saw this happen. They saw the one guy get paid or get forgiven for $14.5 billion, And then they watched the same guy go out and rough up a guy who owed him 10K. So they went to the king said, uh, yo, are you aware of what's happening? And his master, in verse 32, it says, Then his master, this is the king, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant. Oh, no, that's a change in tone, isn't it? Why? Because he wouldn't forgive. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not? Also have had compassion on your fellow servant. Watch these words. Just as I had pity on you. That just as means, hey, I need you to forgive people the way I just forgave you. That, I, that, that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, the way he forgives us is unconditionally, y'all. That doesn't mean that we, because it's not about whether we deserve it, because we don't. It's not about whether we've earned it. We can't. It's not about whether we're worthy. We're not. It was unconditional. Jesus paid the price. And he said, just as I had pity on you. We find that, that verse in Ephesians 4.32. Watch what it says. Instead, be kind to each other. This is Paul talking. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The master expected the servant to forgive the same way that he had been forgiven. And he calls him wicked when he does this. Jesus finishes and said, And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Torturers, by the way, is, is representative here of tormenting spirits. Because let me tell you something. If you ever walked the path of unforgiveness, you are tormented at every turn. Your sleep is tormented your mind is tormented. Try holding unforgiveness. I'm telling you. You have, will have difficulty focusing. You ever find yourself in a room? You will have a high anxiety and maybe even more anger than you know what to do with that just comes out of you. And you go, whoa, where did that come from? You'll be tormented because you refuse to forgive. And it says that he would be tormented until he paid all that was due, which, by the way, wasn't that an unpayable debt? Are you getting the picture here? That he would be tormented for eternity. For us, the unpayable debt is paid in eternal separation, and that means hell. Now, Jesus tells lots of parables, lots of stories to get his point across throughout Scripture. But only once, only once does he immediately explain himself. Every other time, he waits for his disciples to come to him and say, hey, I'm going to need you to help me understand that. I need you to break that down for me, right? And Jesus immediately goes to explaining the situation, and he says in the next verse, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And the use of that word brother lets me know that Jesus is talking to fellow believers about uh, fellow believers. These are people that are in the family, not people outside the family. 
He's talking about Christians, though they wouldn't have used that word at that time. That's what he means. And we see this statement repeated multiple times in the New Testament, that it's important for us to forgive or else we won't be forgiven like the wicked servant. Let me show it to you, Mark eleven twenty five. 25, just in case you need more authority of the scripture, just in case you want to tell me, Aaron, you're kind of twisting that to mean what you want it to mean. All right, come on, let's go. Mark eleven twenty five. 25, and whatever you stand praying, which by the way, this means Christians again, because do Christians talk to their heavenly father? I mean, do, uh, do, do lost people talk to their heavenly father? No, I mean, maybe, like, God help! Yes, maybe, but this is more of a, you're having a relational conversation. When you stand praying, this means that these are believers. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your father, there you go, because if you're far from God, you're not a child of God. You've not received Christ to be forgiven and enter into the family of God. Again, just proving it, talking to you, that he's talking to me. Yeah, he's talking to you. So your father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive you. That's twice that it's been said. And Jesus said this one week before he's crucified. Let's go to the beginning of his ministry. What's Jesus saying at the beginning of his ministry at the Sermon on the Mount? Which, by the way, we're going to start in two weeks. We're going to break that whole series down. It's going to be great. Matthew 6, 14, Jesus said, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's three. Need more? All right, I got you, boo. One more. Here we go. <laughs> Luke six thirty seven. Forgive and you will be forgiven. That's Four. One more time? Okay, let's go to the Lord's Prayer, shall we? <laughs> Jesus said, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. That's five. And when the Bible starts repeating itself, it's really important that we key in on that. It's really important. This isn't a suggestion. It's as clear as it can be. A person who refuses to forgive is a person who has forgotten what they've been forgiven of. Unforgiveness is a sin that will leave you imprisoned. It will leave you tormented. And those that refuse to give forgiveness will not be forgiven. As I wrap up today's message, I just want to share a story with you. And it's, it's uh, you know, as a, as a young guy, I'm, I'm Jewish by nationality. That's my, I, I, my mother is Jewish. My grandmother is Jewish. And so we keyed into a lot of Jewish stories famous Jewish people outside of the Bible, and one of them is, is the story of Corrie Tin Boom. And you may know her story. You probably, you know, read, read her story growing up, but I, I don't know if they even tell it in, in, in uh, public schools anymore. But she was a survivor of, of one of the most horrible things that has ever happened in the humanity of history, and that was the Holocaust, which was this massive extermination of the Jewish people underneath the Nazi regime in, in Nazi Germany in, the, in World War II. And Corey and her sisters, they were, they were not Jews themselves, but they, they lived in Poland, and they were hiding Jews from the Nazis. And they were one of the, one of the stations, kind of like the Underground Railroad was here in, in the States during the Civil War that was rescuing slaves and bringing them to the north. She was part of that process. She was hiding them in her house, and her neighbors gave her up. And as a result, they took the Jews that, were, that she was hiding in, her, in their house and her and Corey and her sister, uh, Betsy, I believe her name was. And they took them to Ravensbrück, which was one of the concentration camps. At the concentration camps, they were treated terribly. They were humiliated, stripped of their clothes, stripped of their family. Families were split apart. They were treated worse than cattle you can't stand, right? Because they were herded on the trains and herded into rooms and the stories you can read about what happened during that time are heartbreaking. In fact, if you ever go to, the, to Washington, D.C., I encourage you to go to the Holocaust Museum and take a walk through. It's harrowing. But Corey and her sister went and were interred at Ravensbrück. And, you know, she survived, her sister didn't. And she told her story. And Corey, being a Christian, of course, gives all glory to God and connects her purpose in life to this. But, you know, Corey was treated terribly. And she's got a story. I'm actually going to read it to you because I really wanted you to hear it in her own words. And I know you're not supposed to stand up in front of a group of people and read something. But if you need to close your eyes to stay connected to this, just do that for a moment. But hear this, hear this situation from Corey's own words. 
She says, it was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947, so shortly after the war, she says, that I saw him. A balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush, the, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein, he said. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me, he said. And as I stood there, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is an act of the will, and will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Listen to me, church. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the prisoner that you've held captive for so long. And when you choose to do it, to forgive as God has forgiven you, when you release that captive, what you'll find out is that you were the prisoner all along. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to choose and I love the way that Corey said it, that we would choose even by force of will. <laughs> because we know your word is true, that we must choose to forgive if we want to be forgiven. Jesus, I know this is a free gift that you've given us. Salvation is free. Forgiveness is free to us. We must learn to give it freely as well. Help us to forgive those who have offended us of what we call the big offenses and the small ones and as we do i pray that you would help us to keep in sight how much you have forgiven us may we never ever forget that and lose sight of that losing sight of the fact that our debt was unpayable is what's put us in so many predicaments thank you jesus for paying it all for us now today my prayer is that we will choose to forgive just as god has forgiven us which is unconditionally, continually <laughs> giving grace upon grace, meaning giving us what we don't deserve, and then having new mercies every morning, meaning that we don't get what we do deserve. God, thank you so much. Lord, as we choose to forgive, pray that you meet us in that space and help us to do it fully to experience that release. And in doing so, may we, uh, may we escape the trap 
and refuse to be baited from this day forward. Now, there's another group of you I want to talk to in this room. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today, and what you need most is a relationship with God. And hearing about how much he loves you, hearing about how much he paid for your debt to be canceled, your heart is stirring. You don't know what it is. You never thought you could have a relationship with God. You always thought that your sin was worse than everybody else's. You felt like you don't belong. And I'm here to tell you today, you belong. You just need to cross a line of faith. Say, Jesus, I need you in my life. And today, if you're here and you want to pray that prayer, praying this prayer does not mean that you're going to live perfectly. No one does that. What it means is that you're going to pursue a perfect God and that he's going to transform you day by day, making you more like himself. If you're ready to be on that journey to be forgiven, oh, and by the way, have eternity in heaven as a result. Would you pray the prayer with me? And in fact, if you're going to join me in that prayer, would you just lift your hand right now and say, Aaron, that's me. I'm saying yes today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Wow, hands all over the place. Thank you. Proud of you. Put your hands down. Thank you. Church, let's pray together. Nobody prays alone. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. And help me to forgive others the way that you're forgiving me. Completely unconditionally Father fill me with your spirit make me brand new and show me how to live for you thank you Jesus amen man if you prayed that prayer today all of heaven is having a party with you come on simple church let's celebrate with those who said yes to Jesus today Now listen, I know that this journey is tough, especially if, if, if you're just making a commitment today, I know you got a lot of questions. Great way to get your questions answered is to grab a connection card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out. Say, I, made, I said yes to Jesus. Stop by the Connect Center and talk to somebody about it. We're not gonna hold you for a long time. We just wanna be part of your spiritual journey and I pray that you'll give us the opportunity to do just that. Amen, everybody. For those of you that are taking a journey towards forgiveness and maybe this is really hard for you and you need somebody to talk to, our pastoral team will be right here to meet you, to pray with you directly after service, or you can meet me over here at the Connect Center. I would love to talk to you as well. And, uh, and, and maybe if it's, if it's a private, intimate thing, let's request some time to get, get some coffee together. I love coffee, all right? Let's go get coffee and we can talk about it. I would love to be part of you walking out that journey as well. Amen, everybody? All right. Well, today as we wrap up, I just want to uh, tell you about a couple things. First of all, if, if um, uh, you're prepared to give today, there's ways to do that. There's a give box in the back of the room that is lit up in the back like a blazing beacon. There's also ways to do that digitally for us. So we just uh, thank you for your generosity. I want to tell you that uh, this past week, uh, or it was the week before last, um, you know, in July, for the 4th of July, the last couple years we've been in the parade, first year we gave away 25 bikes, Second year, we gave away 35 bikes. Well, there, through partnerships that have been developed here, the Lord inspired some people throughout this past year to make a plan to give generously this last year. And as a result, we were able to order 60 brand new bikes that we are going to be giving away uh, in the 4th of July parade. Now, you know, the vision has always been to give away 100. Sometime we're going to make that. Amen, everybody? We're going to do it. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to share ways that you could be part of maybe helping us get that number a little higher. But, but just know that we've already got it. Your generosity has already done it. They're going to be shipped here the first week in June. Uh, and then we've got an assembly party that we're going to have to have, okay? Because 60 bikes, that's a... Uh, your pastoral team is committed, but woo, buddy. We need you. Amen? Yeah, we, we need you put together some bikes because they are not assembled and uh you know they whoever we're giving the bikes to if it's not quite right somebody can fix it it'll be fine right but uh but we, we just want the wheels moving and uh so so i just want to say thank you for your generosity and thank you for growing in your generosity it's just really amazing what god is setting us up to do here in this community because of your generosity and your faithful giving remember the shindig is tonight at 6 p.m doors will open if you're in the cake contest, you need to be here at 545 so that we can get your cake set up and give you some instructions because, yes, we're going to vote on your cake and there'll be some, some winners uh, for the cake contest, uh, but we're also going to eat your cake. You don't get to take it home, okay? So you can't, you can't have your cake and win it too. I don't know. If... 
See what I did? Cake. It's cake. All right. Well, let me pray over us, and we'll dismiss. Again, I w- we would love to meet you here if you need anything, uh, anybody to agree with you in prayer. Love to meet you at the Connect Center. Lord, thank you for what you're doing here in us as a church. We just love you. We surrender uh, ourselves to this journey. Lord, help us to escape the trap of offense. Bless these as they go. Bring us back safe, Lord. And as we invite others into this last step of this journey of this baited series, Lord, I I pray that you would uh, uh, show us who we need to invite. May we come back and not be alone. In Jesus' name, everybody said? God bless you guys. We'll see you back here tonight, 6 p.m.